0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: What's up, everybody? It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain with you as always. Mike Wells filling in for Fitz. Fitzy was hanging out with the Fine Bomb crew all day today again. So Mike Wells steps in. We'll get to know Mike a little more. We'll talk some Colts and get his expertise while we've got him here. We're going to kick things off right off the bat with uh, not Jeff Passan, our ESPN MLB insider, but in fact, Elmo Because Jeff, our board op, did not know why we called you Elmo. He has never heard this. And I believe it's time for you to bring it back. If you wait too long in between appearances from Elmo, people will start to forget your own natural gifts. I have no idea what you're talking about, Sarah. (laughs) Oh, it's been too long. Uh, Passon is with us to talk some baseball. Elmo might make a return. Hey, let's start with Shohei Otani. I saw Jess Mendoza on Get Up today talking about the pickle that the Angels might be in. Not only that he will demand so much money for his many skills, but that they might have to even consider trading him instead of losing him for nothing if he might walk. I had not considered this. Are there rumors that he wants to move on?
2: You know, uh, if you're Shohei Otani at this point, how do you not want to move on? Right. And and I say that o- all <laughs> I, I say that only because the Angels aren't winning. And mm-hmm. Shohei Otani didn't come to Major League Baseball to set records or to be this marvel that we haven't seen in a century. He he came over here to do that and to win. And the winning part just has eluded the Angels so much to this point where uh, they're they're almost in something of a catch-22. You know, they've got Mike Trout under contract for the next decade, and he's going to be making goo-gobs of money. They've got Anthony Rendon under a contract that's looking really bad right now. And if you have a third player in that, you know, 35 to what's Otani going to get, $50 million a year range, all of a sudden, you know, you have three out of 26, and uh, you start off with $120 million payroll right, right there. It's difficult to build around that. And so – uh, the, the way he may look at the Angels is that uh, they really need to prove something if he's going to resign there, and they haven't proven it to this point, and this year doesn't look like the season that they're going to prove it either.
3: You know, uh, Sarah, I bet you uh, Jeff does a great job it, with an Elmo impersonation. i also tell you he does an incredible job speaking to students. Jeff spoke to my wow. uh, my IU journalism class about a year and a half ago and he, he still put on his
1: sincere hat for once yes he did and he, he, he
3: and he and Woj are the top two uh as far as my favorite students and i'm not surprised nice. that it is jeff and Woj. so he, jeff is a man of many hats yeah mm-hmm.
1: He, he thank is.
2: you mike i i appreciate you you showing uh the the other side of me to this audience that has been gassed by yet. sarah yeah. for years now talking about what a horrendous person i have
1: Yeah, no, Jeff just brings little brother energy to this show whenever he's on, so that's why they never see the kind of person who might show up to speak at a school. Uh, We're talking to Elmo slash Jeff Passan, ESPN MLB insider. Hey, I think the only people who want Otani to stay with the Angels are the Angels and Angels fans, and everybody else wants to see him get the hell out of there and go somewhere where he can be more relevant and be part of a winning team. So let's talk about some winning teams. Uh, I heard someone say the other day they'll give you the Mets, Yankees, and Astros or the field. Are you that convinced that it's down to those three teams down the stretch?
2: Throwing the Dodgers there and I'll take those four okay. um, and, and listen I don't want to forget the Atlanta Braves either who have roared back to the point where Mets fans are doing what Mets fans do which is panicking thinking the sky is falling and <laughs> not acknowledging the fact that they've remained in first place without Jacob deGrom for the entire season and Max Scherzer for a chunk of it so I'm not as worried uh, about the Mets as Mets fans may be but uh, those are clearly, uh, the, those three plus the Dodgers, That that's the creme de la creme in baseball right now. And, yeah, if you give me the four of them, I feel like I'm probably over 50% odds at that point. And since I want to be a responsible gambler, if I'm going to bet on something, I better have better than 50% odds.
3: <laughs> you know, as good as the Yankees have been this season, uh, you know, with a 720 winning percentage, are the Astros the biggest threat to them in the AL? They just had a series, uh, what a week ago or so, give or take. Um, yep. Would you say they're, you know, they might be the only team that could really give the Yankees a run to get to, to represent the AL in the World
2: Series? I, I think there are a bunch of other teams that could give them a run, Mike. But when you talk about a team that is a threat, yeah, it's the Astros and and really nobody else. I mean. Uh, Minnesota, if they're in, Minnesota's a good baseball team. I don't think the Yankees, because of both history and talent this year, I don't think the Yankees are scared of the Twins. Uh, the Rays have been a thorn in everyone in the ALE side for a few years now. But you look at that lineup and you compare it to the Yankees, and it doesn't. Uh, the, the Red Sox are a good team, a pedigree team, but a flawed team. and And I think if there's another one that really could concern them, it's the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, when you have Kevin Gosman and Alec Manila at the top of your rotation, you're sitting pretty when you have Vladimir Guerrero and uh, Bo Bichette and George Springer and Teoscar Hernandez and Alejandro Kirk and others in your lineup, you're going to be pretty good. And you're going to put some runs on the board. The Jays just need relief pitching. Uh, you know, Jordan Romano is great at the back end. Adam Simber was a excellent acquisition last year to the trade deadline, but uh, there's just not enough bullpen depth, and they they need a, a an outfield bat. Though, Remmel Topia lately has been awfully solid, so that's not quite as much of a concern as it's been for them. But uh, what what the Astros have is a few things. Number one, they have experience. I really do think that matters. Number two, uh, their offense is pretty nasty, and it's led by Jordan Alvarez, who alongside Otani may be the best threat right now to – take the MVP award away from Aaron Judge. But, shockingly, what they have is starting pitching. And Justin Verlander won another game, his 11th today, has a 2.00 ERA, has been phenomenal coming off Tommy John surgery. Farmer Valdez uh, is a guy who deserves to be an all-star this year, at least be in consideration. Christian Javier transitioning from uh, the bullpen into the rotation. It's been awfully successful. Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy. I mean, they've got guys who post They make their starts, they eat their innings, and they're effective. And while the Yankees' rotation has been the best in the league so far, the Astros isn't far behind.
1: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Mike Wells, hanging out with me in place of Fitz tonight. And we're talking to Jeff Passan, ESPN MLB insider. You just wrote a great story about the dying position of the starting pitcher in baseball. Now, you obviously have been following that narrative, and that's why you chose to write about it. But I wonder, in the course of talking to folks across the league about the issue of starting pitching, what did you learn in writing that, or what surprised you?
2: You know, this is a story that's really... Uh, ties in to, to other sports. And you would think, how does the starting pitcher tie into the NBA? The starting pitcher ties into the NBA because the NBA has had the same battle that Major League Baseball is having right now, which is efficiency versus entertainment. Uh, we've seen the NBA transition in, in college basketball and high school basketball as well to a three-point oriented game. And we've seen that because – if you hit 33% of your three-pointers, you have to shoot 50% from the field on two-pointers to have it be as efficient. And more often, teams are going to be able to hit more than 33% of their three-pointers than they are to hit 50-plus percent of their, their two-pointers. So the game has changed in the same way Major League Baseball recognized that the third time through the order for a starting pitcher – he tends to get knocked around at a much higher clip than he did the first and second time through so if we have all of these relief pitchers who are coming up throwing 100 miles per hour who have these nasty breaking balls that are just disappearing from the strike zone despite spending 45 feet of their flight there uh, why would we not go with one of those guys and mm. it's it's a tough argument to to make against that it it makes sense it helps teams win ball games but what it's done is it's taken away the starting pitcher as we once knew it. And I'm not going to sit here and try and be that guy who's yelling at a cloud from his porch. I understand (laughs) I can (laughs) sound like that when talking about baseball sometimes, but I really do think there's a good argument in favor of the starting pitcher going deeper into games. Uh, I think starting pitchers have been babied to the point where they're underused now. And uh, I think ultimately if you force a starting pitcher to go deeper into games, the max effort pitching that we see so prevalent throughout baseball now uh, is going to have to be dialed back because it, you just can't maintain that for 110, 120 pitches into the seventh or eighth right. inning. And so right. when you have the stuff dialed back, all of a sudden the ball's more hittable. When you have more balls in play, there's more action. When you have more action, the game goes quicker. I mean, all these things tie together. And I'm not saying that this is the, the silver bullet that can cure all of the ills in baseball, what I am saying is, in theory, there's a pretty good argument behind how it could help.
1: Yeah, well, people should go check out the full story; it's on com right now. Hey, Passen slash Elmo, thanks for the time, appreciate it. Bye, sir. <laughs> Jeff Passen with us here on Spain and Fitz. Coming up, we'll talk WNBA All Star game in my city this weekend. It's next.
0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Ah, uh, perfect song for Shy City this weekend where the WNBA superstars will be playing. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Mike Wells in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app. Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now to talk WNBA, Bleacher Report, and highlight hers, Ari Chambers. You can always follow her at Ari Ivory. All right, let's start with the storylines we've got from the beginning of the season taking us into this All-Star weekend. What are the biggest takeaways uh, from the first half?
4: You know, hey, sister, um, Phoenix, I'm looking at Phoenix in general, ooh, ooh. just uh, everything that's going on there. Um, we have Tina Charles ended up going to Seattle. You know, she went to Phoenix just for the hopes of um, getting a championship. And now she's wanting to seek that in Seattle. You have Skylar trade rumors, which I don't know how much validity, validity there is behind that. But I see that a lot of players are like, that Phoenix would be crazy to let her go. They we would, have but you'd be Sue dropping clown emojis
1: on your coach's tweets and you might be stirring something <laughs> up. That could be a problem.
4: <laughs> one thing about Skylar, she's never, she's never shied away from fights, and so we love that for her. <laughs> and then we have Sue and Sill's lawsuit raw, which is really, really sad.
1: Yeah. yeah.
3: Hey, Ari, um, obviously one of the biggest storylines has been Brittany Greiner um yes. being detained in Russia. How Do you know how the players will honor her this weekend? Uh, they've been doing it all season long with the shirts and talking about her. Will anything special be done this weekend in Chicago?
4: Obviously, she's an honorary all-star. We're keeping her in our, in our thoughts and p- prayers. We're keeping um, her name in the forefront on social media. There will be a moment of recognition in broadcast, but as far as in-game moments, it's not set to happen right now. It could be something in pregame, but right now it's the honorary all-star mentioning and then uh, recognition in broadcast.
1: And I just saw in Ballet Sports, too, that Sherelle Greiner, her wife, is going to be part of a presser tomorrow in Chicago here ahead of the game to urge uh, mercy and leniency for Greiner in, in the latest. And so. Sherelle
4: is so strong, right? Yeah. She's so strong. She's been able to stomach the courage to get in front of people and speak about the situation. You know, we see mixed reactions on Twitter, and it's really, really sad um, to watch. I, Brittany should have been home. She mm. should have been home.
1: Yeah, it's a complicated situation. I wish more people would actually do the work on it instead of blabbing about it uh, inhumanely and without any empathy. I would recommend people continue getting their news from T.J. Quinn, who's covering it in the smartest and most informed way. We're talking to Ari Chambers of Bleacher Report and highlight her ahead of the All-Star Game here in my city. I've got some secrets that I can't (laughs) tell on the air. There's lots of fun stuff going on this weekend. Parties and events and pressers and brunches and meetings. Lots of stuff. What else are you looking forward to in terms of All-Star? Whether that's players making their debut, vets perhaps making their last appearance. What What are you waiting for to see on Sunday?
4: You know what, Sarah, I'm actually going to go the fan perspective because I was just walking down the street and saw LA Live get, uh, LA Live Live WNBA Live get <laughs> set up, and it's going to be 10 to 4 tomorrow. And there are photo ops, there's a Mountain Dew Court, there's a nail salon, food and beverages, there's a clinic, player meetups. You can just walk up on your favorite players. So that's always fun. And the, the three-point and skills will be streaming at WNBA Live.
1: Yeah, those are all Saturday. Yeah,
3: yeah. And, and now oh, who, who's, who's your favorite in the three-point? Uh, competition
4: oh I'm gonna go Jewel Lloyd
1: (laughs) wow you you said that on my show you said that on my show in my city is what you just said is not (laughs) the name of Allie Quigley that's what just happened Allie Quigley
4: has reigned supreme we already know that she's Uh capable she's done it three times I I want to go with Jewel and
1: yet I just I just want to go Jewel Yet you choose against the facts that are right in front of you. (laughs) Ari Chambers is here for a little bit longer, but not much longer after that. She's from Bleacher, highlighter follower at Ari Ivory. Uh, let's talk about the players this season that we should be talking about. I thought Katie Barnes did a great job with a story on, on John Quell Jones and who gets to be a star. There's certainly conversation about Sue and Di being on the cover of the NBA 2K23. They are legends. They are goats. But some people wanted to see different representation. Were you cool with that cover? And who should we be talking about if we're not talking about the right people?
4: I was cool with the cover. Um, I, I actually, ironically, saw a few people saying Candace should have been. She was actually the she first woman year. on the cover yeah. of 2K. <laughs> and so <laughs> that was interesting to me. But let's give Sue and DT their flowers, but also Sylvia. Um, Sylvia, obviously this was decided probably far before Sylvia announced her retirement, so let's put that out there. But we do need to put more conscious effort into recognizing the legend. I was um, very fortunate enough to give her her flowers as we painted a mural in her hometown, Little Haiti, last November. But just keeping her on the forefront and just knowing that we're so privileged to be able to witness um, her in her in her years of playing and to not be taken for granted. Breon January is another one that has given so much to the game and she's she's retiring as well. And so just just these legends that are stepping away. Uh, you see how I'm completely ignoring the fact that Candice might it might be her last year. I'm completely ignoring that fact. I told her she's got a two five more years. Yep. So um, that, and then I, I'm looking forward to the next generation. Like China mentioned on broadcast about how it's like a sort of passing of the torch with these players. And so you see Sabrina, the triple double god that we, you know, we talk about frequently, but it's, it's, she she follows through. And then we have Asia, who's the MVP favorite with uh, even with the Asian skit, she's still been dominant in in most performances. She's the consistency that we see um, being the rock of this next generation.
3: You know, when you when you look at the standings, basically two and a half games between the top five teams in the WNBA as the second half of the season gets rolling, what teams what teams should people keep an eye out on?
4: It's giving parity, um, but <laughs> I I do want to get, I want to look out for Chicago because you uh-huh. know Sarah and I have been pushing the Chicago agenda oh, she's for trying the back to back. Really hard to go back to She's
1: smart now. She's, <laughs> she's, she's smart. smart to go back to back. But
4: but you know I've seen a spark that's very different in um, New York. They've been playing better, and if they get Najee back, um, by the grace of goodness gracious, um, from her injury at the end of the season, they, they're looking really, really tough.
1: Yeah, Sabrina had that first thirty-point triple-double in WNBA history, but that team's still sitting under five hundred. So you're right; they do need to get hot down the stretch. But uh, the Sky, meanwhile, sitting at fifteen and six, a seven fourteen win percentage. That is the top of the league. So I'm glad that you put some respect on their name because people were saying they will not <laughs> repeat, and I said we added another and WNBA Finals MVP at Emma Mieseman. So I'm um, feeling good about this. And four All
4: Stars, Sarah. Four mm-hmm. All Stars. Anything. Four
1: All Stars are actually currently taking on the fever and that will have some implications on the commissioner's cup so we're keeping an eye on that Ari we get to party together this weekend
4: I can't wait you know I already sent you the emojis that's gonna be us all weekend long
1: that was not a twerk but I'll I'll take it as a twerk emoji since there is it one uh before we let you go what's the drink of choice what are we gonna be uh downing this weekend
4: you're gonna judge me for life. It's vodka with pineapple. I I Girl, can't that's my it. I, I won't I'm, ever grow up. i have vodka
1: and sweet stuff all weekend long. You will see me with some claws. There are no laws, so there will be no judgment at all. Ew, claws. Um, and this gross. is why yeah. you're my sister. Yeah, Mike's over here drinking like bourbon on the rocks, like like a man, and I'm over yeah, here giving me that the claw vodka. Stuff.
4: No. With, I, I have to order vodka, vodka Not orange with a, vodka. with a
1: with splash of crayon, And someone's like, "Isn't that like a sex on the beach?" I'm like, "Shh." Don't say it out loud. <laughs> Just let me drink my drink. Uh, Ari, looking forward to hanging this weekend. See you later.
4: Bye, Sarah. Thank you. Bye, Mike.
1: Bye-bye. Ari Chambers, Bleacher Report. Follow at Highlight her on Twitter and Instagram. Follow her at Ari Ivory. She's the queen of the WNBA. We're going to have fun this weekend. It's Spain and Fitz. Mike Wells filling in for Fitz. Coming up, we're going to continue our NFL two-a-days with Houston. Is Davis Mills the answer? I can't say that with a straight face. It's next.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Man, there are a lot of questions about the Texans as we head into this season. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain hanging out with Mike Wells on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Mike, is it Mike or Michael Wells? The screen says Michael Wells, but in a twist that surprised everyone, I did not read it anchorman style, and I went with what I've always called you, which is Mike Wells.
3: Thank you. Yeah, it, it you know legal name is Michael, and my late mom was the only one to call me Michael, and that's usually when I was in trouble, right. which was so quite a bit growing up. So anytime somebody <laughs> says Michael, I kind of I kind of cringe a little bit. Like what did I do wrong? Why are they saying that? But it is Mike. I prefer Mike.
1: All right. Perfect. I'm glad I was right, and I'm seeing the hastily deleted and retyped name on the screen. (laughs) Uh, We're going to talk about the Texans and the Panthers today as our NFL two-a-days continue. What a weird season, team, year situation this Texans team is. You've got all of what's hanging over with Jack Easterby and the feeling that he's sort of – soaking up the soul of that franchise you've got david Culley, who is in a complete no-win situation you had deshaun watson hanging over a franchise by playing not at all but being in the midst of this very serious investigation that now the texans are embroiled in where a suit alleges that they enabled his behavior you got lovey smith coming in and god knows what kind of coach he is at the nfl level right now and also what situation he's being put in with this team and everything rides on davis mills This seems like a disaster in the making, and yet some of the headlines are Texans on the rise. So let's ask our guests how that's even possible. Pro Football Network, Aaron Wilson. Aaron, Texans on the rise? Question mark how?
5: Right. It is a bit of a stretch. for (laughs) there to be a lot of optimism surrounding the Texans. The thing about Davis is he did finish the season pretty strong. And statistically... Other than Mac Jones, he was the best rookie quarterback. So the first-round picks, the Trevor Lawrences, etc. he did statistically outperform them. He didn't do it with a lot of you know, great supporting cast. His best player that he plays with on offense, when Laramie um not out there, is Brandon Cooks. And, you know, Brandon, he doesn't move the meter a lot, but he's a very good wide receiver. And they didn't have a good running game. And he's still, without much of an offensive line, threw the football well, and he's someone that a lot of, NFL general managers have told me this. He would be a first-round draft pick if he had gone back to school and was in this year's draft. And he, you know, certainly has all the tools. And there's some reason for optimism. Getting to know Davis a little bit over the past year, he's an impressive young man. He's very smart, and he's respected. He's a good leader. And he's a really hard worker, and he's intelligent. And has a good relationship with Pep Hamilton, the offense coordinator. And I think there's some reason, you know, just off the small body of work. To feel good that Davis, you know, has a chance to be a solid quarterback, whether that makes them a winner, I think is really more of a stretch. That that's more the thing, with just the treaties on who is Davis. And I think Davis is solid.
3: Hey Aaron, you and I have spent a lot of time together in press boxes down in Houston, mm-hmm. up yeah, in Indianapolis. Um, can you sell? Can you just explain the reasoning on why they made a head coaching change after just one year with David Culley and decided to go with Lovey Smith? I'm just baffled right. on the short term, that some, the short time that some coaches get to try to prove themselves in the league.
5: Right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. David Cully, good man, had never been a head coach before, or even a coordinator, and it was their choice. No one made them make that hire. There wasn't any pressure, and certainly wasn't coming from ownership. This was something that Nick Casario and Jack Easterby felt like was the right course of action. and. Cal McNair, the owner, since or chairman and CEO, his mom, uh, Janice McNair, the late um, Bob McNair's wife, that's the owner, but yeah, he got on board with it, and you know, I still talk to David, uh, who's, you know, probably going to retire from coaching, it just wasn't something where, you know, he's a good man, and he did the best he could with not a whole lot of, you know, people really around him, as far as a strong roster and I think he did his best. They just didn't feel like he was gonna take them forward and then they got into a situation where they were gonna get a lot of backlash if they had hired Josh McCown, which was something that was, you know, a possibility. And they kinda of fell into promoting Lovey Smith, who's a former NFL coach of the year and he's you know solid. Definitely seems more like a head coach type than David Culley. but yeah, they essentially admitted that they didn't think Hulley was going to be the guy, the leader, to take them going forward. And they're still in a rebuild. And you probably, if you're going to have a rebuild, you want a real steady, experienced coach like Lovey Smith. But, yeah, it's just something where, obviously, they admit that they feel like they made a mistake and moved on from David. I don't think there's anything that could have saved David's job, though. Uh, you know, if they they went up firing Tim Kelly, the offense coordinator, anyway, David has talked about, some of the changes they wanted him to make to the staff, but I think he would have fallen regardless of whether he was on board with firing assistant coaches or not.
1: I feel terrible for David Culley. He never really got a shot, and while I enjoyed Lovey Smith's time with the Bears, he's coming off a bad year running their defense. Uh, he's got a bunch of free agent leftovers that he's sort of stuck with, and it just feels like another stopgap. It doesn't feel like a big departure from Cully, so I think Cully should have been given the opportunity to continue, uh, but this whole Texans team uh, makes a lot of moves that confuse me. It's Spain and Fitz here, Mike Wells talking to Aaron Wilson of Pro Football Network about the Texans. Um, how much does the lawsuit hanging over them affect what they're doing moving forward, or, or does it at all?
5: I don't think anyone's very worried about the lawsuit. There's no talk of an NFL investigation, and Everything I keep hearing is, you know, even though it sounds bad, sounds ominous. When you look really carefully, there's not a lot of receipts to the lawsuit. In terms of non-disclosure agreement, that part, Deshaun Watson's personal information gets posted on the Internet. And whether they should have asked more questions or done more, definitely that's a fair question. And, you know, that'll be for a judge to decide. On the point of the Estonian when you get the hotel membership, he's not 25, he's not old enough to belong to. It's, it's a nice spa and, and country club and uh, been over there for lunch before. I'm not a member, but it's, it's a nice place. And it's definitely something leading up to when he wound up signing his contract, the organization wanted to be on good terms with him. So I think some of it's explainable. Uh, I don't think everything is a conspiracy, but you know that's one thing that Tony Busby is very good at and he's been able to fold them into this. But, no, I don't think it affects them going forward. I don't see any heads rolling or them having to make major changes because of the Watson situation. I think it's pretty explainable to say, well, we don't know what his behavior was, and everything I have heard you know, privately is that they didn't know about what he was allegedly doing in terms of the allegations of sexual misconduct and whether they should have looked more into it or known more. I can tell you that people very close to him were shocked, surprised, teammates, had people call me and they said, hey, we had no idea about any of this. And again, you know, I guess
1: the NDAs not, would be the only thing, though, that if you're being asked to help draft NDAs, the NDA could get,
5: be, you can get that off the Internet. I mean, that's right, but the like, allegation not, were not the, much of was a document. The,
1: but, but right. Wasn't the allegation that the employee of the Texans was the one who wrote it for him?
5: Well, yeah, that's how you get the NDA They download it, but you have to go up to a general counsel level uh, to get it. The director of security provided it. But someone has to sign off, obviously, for him to get an NDA. But it's a very – if you see the NDA, it's a very standard NDA. And if you are having problems with vendors and you're a player uh, or an employee and you're having an issue where someone's posting your personal information and making threats, which that's that's not – That's pretty much unimpeachable that there were threats made as far as his personal information. Perhaps they should have asked more questions, but that's not, you know, that's for a judge to decide uh, if it ever gets to that point. But the question was, you know, is there a lot of concern, a lot of worry? No, I don't think that they're feeling around the organization. I can't speak for every single person to conduct a poll that they don't feel like they should be part of this lawsuit, but they are.
1: Awesome stuff. Uh, so many questions about this team and uh, moving forward. Tons to talk more about with Jack Easterby. We'll have to get into that next time. Aaron, thanks so much for the insight.
5: Thanks, guys.
1: Aaron Wilson, Pro Football Network with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Mike Wells. Coming up, because Mike is on today, we got to get some questions in about the Colts. Like, you know, why did they move from Baltimore? That's current, <laughs> pressing, important. Spain and Fit's next.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Mike Wells hanging out with me in place of Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. We're doing two a days and technically Texans and Panthers are up today. We're going reverse order based on record and success or lack thereof last year. But since Mike Wells is here, I want to slip in a little bit of Colts talk and just get the vibe on that team obviously the biggest conversations are about the quarterback position um so let's start there uh, it's a huge offseason move picking up Matt Ryan what are the expectations at this point in his career and with this team
3: well let's just say the revolving door at quarterback has been has been going on non-stop you know even before Andrew Luck retired in 2019 uh, he he was, you know, missed all of 2017. So the Colts are about to have their six different week one starting quarterback with Matt Ryan. Clearly the Carson Wentz experiment was an utter embarrassment mm-hmm. and failure by the Colts. They believe Matt Ryan is going to be more than just a one-year quarterback with them. They believe that he can give them a couple years as they hopefully try to find their new franchise quarterback. Right now, if somebody said, where do I pick them in the AFC South, I'm going to put them as first in first place, a better – Better than the Tennessee Titans because with the Titans losing A.J., trading A.J. Brown to Philadelphia, that is a significant blow to uh, Tennessee. I'm not a believer in Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. Um, so I'm going to have the Colts first in the AFC South. I don't believe, you know, they can make a run in the AFC, especially when you look at all the quarterbacks that are in this conference, especially in the – in the. Uh, AFC West, and then you also have, we know what Joe Burrow has done with the Bengals getting them to the Super Bowl. I think the Colts should be in playoff. They should make the playoffs, but beyond that, they're going to continue to kind of just sputter along until they find that next franchise quarterback.
1: Yeah, Matt Ryan, obviously a storied career. He was an MVP in 16. He's a four-time Pro Bowler, but he didn't hit 4,000 yards last year. hasn't had a winning season as a starter since 2017, so obviously there's a skill set there. How do you see him fitting in specifically to this offense and with the other weapons?
3: You know, the good, the good thing about Matt Ryan is he likes to get rid of the ball quick, which is what Frank, head coach Frank Reich likes to do. He likes to run a quick up-tempo offense. They're also going to add in some play-action game. I mean, life is easier. I mean, you, you know the game very well, Sarah. You know life's easier when you have a running game behind you. Mm-hmm. And John, you know, when you have Jonathan Taylor, who led the NFL in rushing, and is you know per, you know one and one a when it comes to the best running backs in the league with Derrick Henry, it's going to make life so much easier, uh, Matt Ryan especially with the questions at wide receiver for the Colts. The Colts have. Let me ask you a question, Sarah. I'm going to re- reverse it real quick. Can you name a wide receiver on the Colts roster not named Michael Pittman Jr.?
1: Hmm.
3: Exactly. I Even sure you can't. probably can. You, sure you, you, you still you pause for several seconds. Yeah. You couldn't just run one off. So yeah. there's questions at wide receiver for the Colts. Jack Doyle it in retired. They're gonna have a new starting left tackle for them. So it's not going to be easy for them. But the pieces are gonna be there. I mean, as long as they lean on Jonathan Taylor and don't put too much pressure on um, Matt Ryan, the Colts can be in position to have a winning record. But then I'm I'm I would be I would be insulting the rest of the teams. And, you know, Super bowl contending teams in the AFC, if I said the Colts were one of those.
1: There's a dude named, like, Paris or something, right?
3: Pa- Paris Campbell, who has okay. missed more games than he's played in his first <laughs> few Baby, years. Maybe that's in the why NFL. I know his
1: name, because I keep reading it out of the injury report. Uh, <laughs> Mike Wells is with me here on Spain and Fitz as we talk a little bit about the Colts. I want to ask you, Frank Reich, you know, sort of admitted to apologizing to Jim Merce for really pushing for Carson where do you think Frank Reich sits in this organization in terms of his status and what it what it will mean to him to have a successful season and for Matt Ryan to be better?
3: Well, I mean, listen, it, you know, Frank Reich was the one to blame for the Carson Wentz failure because he went out on a limb and, you know, convinced owner Jim Irsay and general manager Chris Ballard that he could fix Carson Wentz, get him back to what he, you know, something – close to what he was in 2017 when he was an MVP candidate prior to tearing his ACL. So they can't – Reich, they have to have a winning season. I know Reich and Ballard both con- got contract extensions about a year ago from owner Jim Mercer. But anybody who has followed Jim Mercer on Twitter or listened to him talk, he's not a very patient man. He believe he, he's the same person that said he expects this franchise to win multiple Lombardi trophies mm. in this decade. I didn't major in math in college, Sarah, but <laughs> we are already in 2022, and the Colts have been to the playoffs a total of two times since they got to the AFC Championship game way back in 2014. So um, the, the the pressure will be there on Reich. I believe that they have to at least not just get into the wild card, but try to make some type of run in the in the AFC. You know, to kind of you know take Frank Reich off the hot seat a little bit because you know they they're the the whole you know basically treading water in the ocean is is only going to last for so long.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what are the biggest weaknesses for that team?
3: Ooh, we... I am going to say uh, wide, wide receiver. Oh, my God. Wide receiver? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Tied
3: in? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: this is really going to help are the out two, Matt those Ryan. Those are the two... Be- <laughs> le- left tackle?
3: They don't know... Oh, good. Nobody knows who good. the hell's going to protect every Matt Ryan's side.
1: That will help Matt Ryan is a, is a weakness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, that 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 That's is a, rough, so I mean it, it's crazy. The defense is their strong suit. They I mean they loaded up on defense. Mm-hmm. You got an all pro in, in DeForest Buckner, Darius Leonard. They got um um indaque from um from the Raiders. You know, I know Fitz was a little Fitz might have been upset about that, that this guy got traded from the Las Vegas Vegas Raiders. So the defense is definitely the, the strong suit with Stefan Gilmore and cornerback. Uh but yeah, all the question marks are on offense. I think the, the strong suit any is Jonathan Taylor.
1: That- now that Iberflus is gone, you've lost him, and he was the sort of architect of that defense. Does that scare anybody in terms of consistency there?
3: Um, no, I mean, G- Gus, Bra- Gus Bradley's going to come in, continue to bring another, um, some more strong, you know, continue to be aggressive on defense. And he's got the pieces there. Um, by the way, um, are, you, are, you ha- are you liking Eberflus in Chicago?
1: Too early to say I, I, I think there seems to be some enthusiasm around him compared to the you know lasting impressions of Matt Nagy who, which were very positive early on I mean AP coach of the year and had some really great ideas and those fizzled out so I would have liked to see an offensive guy and I don't like the moves they've made around Justin Fields but I'm willing to give Ebra a shot. Uh so far, all we've heard about is his hit principles over. Oh my and God! Over Listen, he is the king of the again. hit principles. <laughs> I re- I've,
3: I've written so many stories about the hit principles yep. I bet w- you when have. he was here. And I, 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 will, I, know we're supposed to be talking about the Colts, but I got, I got to say this: they're they're setting Justin Fields up for failure by not mm. addressing anything offensively in off season. I, I feel agree. bad for the young man because I'm a fan of his.
1: I agree, and I think that you know you can understand that you're not going to be a good team, but you can prioritize still the development of your quarterback so that when you're able to get into place to try to actually contend, your quarterback is at a peak. And I'm very concerned about the decision-making around him so far. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Mike Wells, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Get a business insurance quote online in as little as six minutes. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. All right, so we're doing two-a-days, like I said. We got Texans and Panthers, and all week we've been asking you your opinions on the teams we're covering as we march toward camp. So, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, we want to ask you how many regular season games do you think the Texans will win this year? You guys can vote on that on Twitter. We'll also ask you how many will the Panthers win this year. And we'll throw in a Lovey Smith question, too, as we were just talking to our guest about Lovey Smith taking over the Texans. How long will he last as head coach? Won't finish this season. We'll be there through the end of, say, 2023 20, so that'll give him two, two years. Um, or we'll be, you know, uh, the coach for, you know, the next five-plus. We'll have you guys vote on all of those. you got to vote on Lovey because I'm a little bit concerned you might get the Cully treatment. <laughs> we'll get Mike's answer to that coming up. First, we'll head over to Charlotte where the Panthers have three quarterbacks. Which means they don't have one good one, right? We'll get into it next.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Two a days continue. If you haven't noticed all week, we've been working from the bottom. And we're still (laughs) down here because we just started. Uh, So we're we're working our way through the teams that had some struggles last season. Could any of them be the Bengals of last year? I say no. But there's always hope. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Mike Wells, filling in for Fitz tonight. ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We do have breaking news yesterday relating to this team. The Panthers acquiring Baker Mayfield in a trade, which sets up a bit of a quarterback competition. And Josh Klein of the Riot Report joins us to talk about it. Josh, I've heard two differing opinions. The majority of people say, well, Baker is a great quarterback with proven ability. He'll obviously get the start. And I've heard a couple other folks say the amount of money owed Darnold makes him the incumbent until he's usurped a couple games into the season. How do you see it?
6: Uh, I think that, uh, yes, I, I think maybe the answer lies somewhere in the middle. In my mind, I think they will have a competition heading into Spartanburg for training camp. And if Baker Mayfield can't win that competition, I would be absolutely flabbergasted. He was drafted ahead of Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the league from an EPA standpoint. And just from a look standpoint, if you watched any Panthers games last year, it was interceptions, it was dropped interceptions. He never looked comfortable back in the pocket. The same thing he was doing with the Jets. He, he looked very Sam Darnoldy. They See traded for Sam Darnold, and they, right. got, they got Sam Darnold. So I, I just can't imagine that Baker Mayfield can't win this, this quarterback competition.
3: Well, Josh. With that said, if the Panthers had any kind of faith in Sam Darnold, wouldn't they just would they have just stayed away from um, Baker Mayfield? I know it was only it could be what a fourth or fifth round pick when it's all said and done that they're giving Cleveland. But if there was any hope in Sam Darnold, Baker would be in Cleve. He definitely wouldn't be in Carolina anymore, would he?
6: Uh, I I don't I don't think you're incorrect, but i But Matt Rule needs to win this season and he needs to win early in this season in order to, to save his job. I mean, David Tepper has proven that he can be a little bit uh, quick on the trigger and Matt rule has had packed back five win seasons. Sam Darnold was his hand picked quarterback. And again, played incredibly poorly over the last stretch of the season uh, when they brought in Cam Newton and they played a two quarterback system. So there are a lot of doubts in Carolina about Matt rule. So to me, he's going to put out his best opportunity to win and that's one of the reasons why they went out and got Baker Mayfield is because Sam Darnold didn't give them that opportunity to win. And I think Baker Mayfield, they feel like gives him gives them a better shot at it.
1: You talked about Matt Rule. Uh, some of our folks here on ESPN Radio have said this is sort of a desperate move to try to save his job. How serious do you think the problems are for him, uh, understanding that, you know, the poor Poor play, the bad record, all that has also come under the, under the tenure of, of Tepper, who may want a finger to point at someone else.
6: Yeah, I, I think it's it's a it's a kind of a dire situation for Matt Rule heading into this season, especially the way that they finished last year. And I think the first year, 2020, when he's first hired, he had all the excuses in the book. There's a rebuilding season. Cam Newton, Cam Newton's gone. Luke Kuechly's gone. Greg Olson's gone. All these franchise. The biggest names, the biggest stars, the best players in franchise history have all left. It's time to rebuild. But instead, the Panthers kind of went for a soft rebuild. They brought in Teddy Bridgewater. They said, hey, we think we can rebuild on the fly and still win. That really wasn't the case. And then last year, they took a step back after they traded three draft picks for Sam Darnold and uh, ended up with five games. And really, the, the tenor of the city here in Charlotte, it they're they're not the biggest fans of matt rule so he needs to not only prove to david tepper that he can be a winner he needs to prove to the fan base that he can be a winner get them back on his side and uh that's obviously one of the reason why they went out and they got baker mayfield and, and they're they're making moves to try and uh be successful this season as opposed to just tearing it all down and then building it back up the traditional way
3: with, with, with baker um you know, talent-wise, he's he, he shown that he can he can lead a team to the playoffs, led Cleveland to the 11-5 r- record two years ago. But there's in my eyes, there's questions with his maturity level. I mean, he was calling out teammates. He, was, he didn't get along with Odell Beckham Jr. Do you feel like he has to win the locker room over right away to let some of those guys know? Because we all know that, you know, news travels, you get a reputation. Does he have to win that locker room over the moment he steps in?
6: You know, uh, one of the things that you always hear about Baker Mayfield is yes, he can. He has a, a very polarizing personality, but he does have that alpha dog mentality, and I think that's something that the Panthers kind of desperately need. Uh, when you look at Sam Darnold's personality, is more of a more of a quiet guy that that puts his head down. Whereas uh, I think the team really responded to Cam Newton, especially early in his uh, in his campaign when he when he came back here, and I think that Baker Mayfield will go in there and. And own this locker room it will not be it will not be hard to I think take the reins from Sam Darnold and then there's rookie Matt Corral there's PJ Walker I think it'll be pretty clear that Baker this is going to be Baker Mayfield's team at least for this season and if you want to be successful if you're DJ Moore if you're Christian McCaffrey if you're Ian Thomas Tommy Trumbull Robbie Anderson you need to get on board with the Baker train uh, or, or else it's it, you're you're going to get left behind and I think that if they can win a couple games early in the season, I think that this is a team that that could be uh, fairly successful. But ultimately, it's going to matter less about Baker Mayfield and more about Christian McCaffrey, who has to stay healthy for this team to be successful.
1: In Spain and Fitz, here. Spain, Mike Wells filling in for Fitz. We're talking to Josh Klein of the Riot Report as we continue two-a-days. We're on the Panthers now. Of course, McCaffrey's health is important. Baker Mayfield's health is important. That was a big part of last year. Um, what are the other places of emphasis, maybe either weaknesses or places that they've tried to build in the offseason that need to improve?
6: Well, offensive line was just such a huge problem for this team last year. They, they really just had a, a rotating door at left tackle. Um, and, and this year, they really, this offseason, one of their main uh, one of their main goals was to improve the offensive line. I understand that sounds kind of like lip service. That's the thing that every team says during the offseason. This team really did put their money where their mouth is. They signed uh, Rams guard Austin Corbett to a big deal. They drafted Ika Maquanu with a six-pick overall. They remade this basically this entire uh, offensive line. Bradley Bozeman is going to play center. Uh, and so three of the, of the five spots are occupied by new guys. And if they can't stay healthy – I do think that they are going to be, that this offensive line group is going to be much improved from last year. And if they can give Baker Mayfield some time and they can give Christian McCaffrey some holes, uh, you know, they still have weapons. They have DJ Moore. They have Robbie Anderson. I, I think that this team, this offense could be successful, um, but it all really depends on that offensive line uh, giving, the, giving the quarterback some time and opening up some holes for the running back. You
3: know, we, we we would be doing a disservice if we didn't put you on the spot, Josh, um, and uh, ask you before we let you go, what what is the, realistically what is the number of wins you you see this Panthers team uh, getting?
6: Uh, you know i i appreciate you putting me on the spot nothing like uh nothing like that on my first appearance i really uh you know mm-hmm. gotta hold my feet to the fire i think we're when you look at this team yeah absolutely write it down make sure you give me a call at the end of the season uh and and grade me correctly or incorrectly um i, I think we're looking at like a, a six or seven win team when you look at their schedule uh it's not particularly easy they have the afc north on the schedule uh cincinnati baltimore pittsburgh these are these are uh, tough games for them. Obviously, Tampa is going to be tough twice a year, and this is ultimately game, a rebuilding week team. Week one game, week one. Oh well, that's that's a win. I think Baker Mayfield might throw for a thousand yards, <laughs> six touchdowns, plant all the flags at midfield. Every that's flag right. in Charlotte is in is at risk.
1: Uh, week one. <laughs> that's of course against the Browns. Uh, that's uh, that's that's the key there, uh, Josh. I will let you know that a few reporters did get Spain and Fitz mugs. At the end of this season for their correct pick. So, you know, there is a possible payoff to putting your name on the line here. We appreciate your time. Thanks so much.
6: Absolutely. That's why I picked two different outcomes to improve my chances.
1: (laughs) Josh Klein of the Riot Report with us here on Spain and Fitz coming up. Lots to get to, so little time. It's quickies.
0: You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN radio and on the ESPN
1: app. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you as always what is this music first you don't know Elmo and now you give us a song it's got quickie in it I see what you're doing there Mike Wells with me fill it in for fits on ESPN radio the ESPN app Sirius XM channel 80 of course he's dropping a song with quickie in it because it's time for quickies We're going to start with tennis, where I'm super bummed. If you listened to the show yesterday, I told you that I was excited that Rafa Nadal had advanced and that I hoped that he would dispatch of the incredibly annoying and deeply troubling Nick Kyrgios, who has a head too big for his body, who doesn't think the rules apply to him, who is set to be in court on domestic violence charges, and who I find incredibly annoying... Uh and now because of that injury I mentioned yesterday, the abdominal strain, Rafa had to drop out and that sends Kyrios straight on without a match. Here's did you what cringe? Rafa did, What's that? Did you
3: cringe when you saw
1: that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate it. I'm I hate it. Yesterday we played a bunch of annoying sound from Kyrios. We'll offset that with poor Rafa talking about his decision to withdraw
4: unfortunately as, as you can imagine if I am here because I have to to pull out from the tournament no as everybody saw yesterday I I have been suffering uh, with the pain in the abdominal I know something was not okay there as, as yesterday I said yeah that's confirmed I have uh, a tear in the in the muscle in the abdominal uh, the communication is too late because even like that I was thinking during the, the whole day about uh, the decision to make but I think it's, yeah, don't make sense to to go and if I, even if I tried uh, a lot of time during doing all my career to keep going under very tough circumstances in that one I think um, it's obvious that if I keep going the, the injury gonna going to be worse and worse and feel very sad to say that.
1: Yeah, you know, this is something I'm extra bummed about, Mike, because we were kind of excited about him being able to play at Wimbledon at all. He had the stress fracture in one of his ribs uh, early on, and then during the French Open, he had that degenerative foot injury. There was so much enthusiasm about his victory and questions about whether it was, like, uh, you know, one of the last ones. So when he was able to go at Wimbledon and was playing well, we kind of thought he was beyond that. But here we are. It's a bummer.
3: No, it it, it is. And you know what? You're trying to say, okay, it's just a – this is a short-term setback for uh, Nadal. I mean, the guys won 22, 22 major championships. But at the same time, I mean, Father Time at some point is going to catch up with you, and you hate to see uh, see his body break down like that. Right. And Because I I enjoy watching him well, more so in the French Open where he's really dominated. dominated. It. So, Hopefully he can get back because again, you know he's he's not exactly he's not exactly the youngest guy on tour anymore at 36 years old. So mm-hmm. um, sooner than later, hopefully for Rafi. Uh, let's get to the next
1: story. Uh, Pretty big day for some of the U.S.'s greatest female athletes today as Simone Biles and Megan Rapinoe were honored with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Some really great photos and clips coming out of the ceremony and a very cool moment to see that Rapinoe had bg and a flower stitched into the lapel of her suit in honor of britney griner a lot of people talking about those two and obviously in the sports world they're the biggest news and simone biles being the youngest ever recipient is incredible but i I just saw some news mike i hadn't seen which is denzel washington could not attend because of covid how awful is that like this is the greatest civilian honor you're not going to get a redo And he had to miss one of just seventeen people getting the honor, and he wasn't able to be there. Such a bummer.
3: Man, I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, COVID has, unfortunately, for the past two and a half years, has caused a lot of setbacks on things. Mm -hmm. And uh, we know Denzel would have loved to be there, but obviously he didn't want to put put other people at risk by trying to show up, whether he was wearing a mask or not. But that sucks for Denzel. I mean, you know, we all, we've all we all been Denzel fans our entire lives, and for him not to be able to attend is pretty sucky.
1: Pretty sucky is right. Gabrielle Giffords, another one who received the award, very deserving uh, posthumous awards for Steve Jobs and John McCain as well. Uh, if you haven't seen him yet, go find some of the clips. It's just the joy on the faces of the people, particularly Rapino and Biles. Very cool to see. All right, next story. I mentioned Griner, and I mentioned how – Uh, She was honored by uh, Rapino with the stitching on her jacket. There was a development today in her case. And, uh, Mike, I've been pretty infuriated with the dumb, ignorant, uninformed, lacking any empathy responses from a lot of people online to an American citizen who's being unlawfully detained in Russia. Uh, And they only got worse today when there was the report that she pled guilty to drug charges in court had anyone been following the case, they would have known that this was recommended to her and that it's part of the strategy. And yet a lot of people responded in the dumbest possible ways, which is very predictable. Here's TJ Quinn, who has been covering the story with a very informed and very expert take all along. He was on SportsCenter talking about the latest.
5: The thought was Russia will require an admission of guilt from her before they sign off, why not do it in court? The other concern is, you know, could she plead, throw herself on the mercy of the court, hope for possibly better conditions and maybe a shorter sentence? The legal process is gonna, gonna draw out for a long time. It's not like the U.S. where a guilty plea ends it. This will continue possibly for weeks or or, or months as the judge reads the case file into the record. That's just how Russian court works. But the negotiations continue. What was key today was a statement from the State Department very quickly saying they still consider her to be wrongfully detained. There's some thought in the U.S. that she said what she needed to say to get out of Russia. Now they can try to do the work to get her home.
1: Yeah, this is what was expected because regardless of whether she did what she was accused of, she was going to be found guilty 99 plus percent conviction rate in russia 99 plus percent and they've said all along that this is not a real trial this is for show so they can try to negotiate a prisoner swap so it doesn't mean anything that she pleaded guilty we don't know if she had the very tiny amount of hashish oil that they are alleging but either way this was sort of the next step mike
3: you know um, i'm going to backtrack off of this and you, you, the way you said you're upset how people aren't paying attention online uh, yeah. about what the process and what her pleading guilty is. I've been infuriated for months because this Brittany Reiner situation has been completely undercovered. It it has not been given the proper coverage. Let her had her name been LeBron James, mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. You know any any male athlete. This will be a 24/7 news cycle, and I feel like she's not been giving the proper respect and the coverage needed for a situation that has been where she's been detained for so since you know the winter time. So I, I feel bad for her. I feel bad for her wife. I feel bad for the whole situation because she's not being treated on the same equal level if she were you know had she been a man.
1: I completely agree, and early on that was intentional at the very beginning of her detainment. They hoped to allow it to proceed without becoming politicized and without it being uh, a kind of hostage negotiation situation, and unfortunately that is not the case, and now it is beneficial to her to talk about it as often as possible and to bring it to the forefront, and that's what folks are trying to do. Again, we mentioned that'll be uh, at the beginning of WNBA All-Star this week. All right, final story. Chris Sale, who uh, made a name for himself back in Chicago when he didn't like the throwback jerseys and cut them up with scissors in the dugout, seems to be back to his old self. And by that, I don't mean good pitching during his rehab stint, but in fact, destroying things. He did not like how he performed in AAA Worcester, so he destroyed the AAA dugout, ripping things off the wall, throwing things. And then afterwards, he blamed the person filming him, and that he thought that the tunnel was a safe space without public access. So if not for the video person, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Always sounds,
3: somebody else's fault.
1: Sounds just like Chris Sale. At least his jersey seemed to be uncut. Coming up. We've gone an hour and a half, and we haven't mentioned the NBA, so we're going to do that next. Talking free agency, does Zion's official signing mean anything for the Kevin Durant sweepstakes and what's going on with Kyrie? It's all coming up next. Spain and Fitz.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Mike, did you notice my walk-up music?
0: Are you a brick house girl, Sarah?
1: That's right. Do you have a, do you have a walk-up song?
3: I'm a old school nine am a slow jam walk up person. I'm give me I'm oh. a new edition kind of guy. I'm okay, old a
1: specific song or?
3: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you stand in the rain?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, this is my old school choice. And if I get a little more recent, I go with Jay Z's uh uh the song that starts with uh Are You Not Entertained? Span yurt, span yurt, span <laughs> yeah. Just feels like <laughs> What more can I say? Also has like a little bit of a good tie in there to like my job and all the talking I do for money, you know how that is. Listen, so, you know, uh, anything
3: to pay the bills. We got to pay the bills now.
1: I got two options there. I keep also calling the Washington Commanders the Commodores by mistake. So I feel like you know Lionel Richie in that song is always trying to you know squeeze its way in even in moments that aren't accurate. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Mike Wells, hanging out in place of Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. The road to the rematch is on as bantamweight champ Juliana Pena and former champ Amanda Nunes go head-to-head as coaches on the historic 30 season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. We've managed to make it the whole show without talking about NBA free agency. I believe we will be fined behind the scenes by ESPN for that but there isn't a ton of news we're all still waiting for something to happen in regards to Kevin Durant and everything's sort of on pause now something that might affect the future of KD is the official signing of Zion Williamson uh he gets the big money deal the Pelicans make clear that he is someone that they will put their faith in despite injury, despite rumors about potentially not wanting to be there or not coming back soon enough. Five years, $193 million designated maximum rookie extension, and now there's too many poison pills if they were to trade him immediately. Um, So he's going to be there. Now, that doesn't mean that they couldn't still look to maybe shop Ingram, or be a part of something, but we know for sure that Zion is sticking in New Orleans. And I'll tell you, Mike, they call this, and I heard Wendy talking about this earlier, they call this the happy max, because the first big max contract a player gets, usually both the player and the team are over the moon about the money, the years, the future, what could happen next, and yet somehow, despite this being a happy max, Zion had a lot to get off his chest as he was quote-unquote celebrating it today.
7: The last few months were a roller coaster of emotions. I felt it the most for my family, because at the beginning of the season, I told the world, if y'all ever want to know if I wanna be here, just ask me. And instead of asking me, <clears throat> the world just ran with narratives. And so when my family was going out in public, they're getting harassed by people on why we don't like New Orleans or why I don't want to be here when that's not the case at all. Um, my, foot, my foot was, uh, I wasn't able to play because my foot was broke. Uh, so that sucked. Um, every time I check my phone, it's always something negative. Even when you're trying to make positive of the situation, it was very tough. So it was a roller coaster for sure, but my family, Pels, Ms. Benson, They were always there.
1: What do you make of that? Because none of that is wrong, but it seems like a lot to say on this occasion, which should be a happy and celebratory one.
3: It's like Zion was waiting for this moment.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: Instead of it saying, you know, embracing a moment of, you know, uh, of his franchise, the Pelican saying, despite, you know, only playing 85 games in the first three years of your career, we're going to, hand you a nice, hefty, guaranteed mm. contract, Zion was like, I'm going to let everybody know I was pissed off <laughs> at the criticism I received. And he deserved to be criticized, you know, unfortunately, because of all the injuries. And I'm under the belief I don't believe the Pelicans should have given him that contract. Wow. I would have rolled, rolled the dice and said, Zion, you are an incredible basketball player when you are healthy. But you have missed more games than you've played in the first three years. We need to see if you can stay healthy. Then we will give you the contract because, yes, you're taking a risk of Zion being insulted and have a, you know, face the possibility of him leaving. But now let's just say Zion can't stay healthy. If he, if he continues to be injured, the Pelicans are going to regret it that they gave him all this money, especially as John Moran continues to take over the NBA and do so many things so well, the Pelicans going to be like, we gave him all this money and he continues to be injured. So I would have just said, hey, you've got to have a proven year for us.
1: Yeah, I think there's two ways this can go, right? Either you look at his anger, his frustration, and you hope that it inspires him to say, I'll prove you wrong, that he comes back hungry and angry and wanting to prove that the people that were rude to his family or the people who doubted him despite the injury will have to eat their words. That is the best case scenario. Worst case is to your point that he doesn't get that he was deserving of criticism for some things. And that he does have something to prove. And that he hasn't yet done anything despite the little blip of success that he was able to have when he was healthy enough to go. Um, And I think that swing is going to decide the future for the Pelicans because they've got a hell of a young player in Ingram. And I don't think they're going to decide to go with Kevin Durant instead. I think, and you, you, you tell me what you think, because I think that Ingram and Zion are both very young zion needs to get into shape learn the game better at the pro level have some games under his belt and be great on a short window because of his health and his size and everything else and concerns about injury but not right now kevin durant is a right now player and if you send away brandon ingram you're going to want kevin and zion to be able to win right away i think your timeline is better hanging on to ingram but that's also me saying don't get Kevin Durant, which I understand how ridiculous that is in any context.
3: Are you okay, sir? No, <laughs> Jay, I, I, I got to say, I'm actually in, I'm in agreement with you Yeah. because getting Kevin Durant alone is not going to put the Pelicans above everybody else in the Western Conference, in my opinion. I think, you know, Zion's still got, like you said, he's still got to learn the NBA game. I like the foundation they have with Zion, Brandon Ingram. A veteran CJ. pro yeah. and one of my favorite players is C.J. McCall. Me too. Also oh on that God. roster. So there's pieces there that they can continue to build. The West is going to be a beast. And Kevin Durant alone, which means you're going to give up some very, very solid pieces and some draft picks to get Kevin Durant, is not going to have them leapfrog everybody else in the West and make them the favorites.
1: So let's talk about into Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, Mike Wells filling in for Fitz on ESPN radio, ESPN app Sirius, XM channel eighty. We now look around and try to find the place where Kevin Durant does fit. And I would say the Raptors might be the only team where it's a one-for-one, one, that's it, these teams can go work with each other. Everywhere else might need to be a three- or four-team deal in order for the Nets to get back what they want and for Kevin Durant to go somewhere where he wants to be. In fact, Nick Friedel was on Get Up talking about how we may be dealing with this Kevin Durant decision not just through the offseason, but when the season starts.
8: The Nets were hoping, all right, Kevin Durant's available. We're going to take everything we possibly can. And that hasn't been the case. It's not like Sean Marks, Brooklyn's GM, is going into work every day going, you know what I want to do today? I want to trade Kevin Durant. That's the last thing in the world this team wants because they're completely irrelevant the second they make that deal as far as title contention. But... If you have a list of teams that he wants to go to and you're trying, at least in some way, to help him get to a preferred destination, these teams are all seeing what's going on and they're seeing that they can potentially wait it out. The difference is he's got four years, so the Nets can say, "Okay, we can bring him back and they can pull this thing throughout the summer into training camp. It's possible, but I still think something ends up getting done here at some point.
1: What do you think? Are the Nets willing to truly wait it out and see how serious Kevin is about wanting out? Uh, I think, don't you believe that Kevin Durant has not been wronged by them in any meaningful way, has been acquiesced to at every turn, and therefore owes them the opportunity to get something worthwhile back for him versus saying, I'm throwing a fit, I'm not playing, I'm going to make it difficult for you to move forward?
3: I'm going – if I'm the Brooklyn Nets, I'm going to be as selfish as possible. Mm -hmm. You brought Kevin – Kevin Durant signed as a free agent, and you thought you were going to have the pieces there with Durant, Harden, Kyrie, and then with Ben Simmons. And now you're going to basically go have to tear it down and rebuild it. So, if I'm Brooklyn, I'm being selfish, I'm worrying about ourselves only because, you know, KD's going to – wherever he ends up at, that team will likely have some success. And Brooklyn is the ones that they're going to have to put five players on the court and play basketball. I don't know if you've talked about this scenario on the court, uh, I mean, on, on the show, Sarah. Don't laugh at me. Don't think I'm crazy. Don't ask about fall, falling on my head or anything. <laughs> the team with the best pieces to bring back, in my opinion, are the Golden State Warriors. They're the best. The, the pieces yeah. that you can get back with James Wiseman, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins and some draft picks. And I I know it it would hurt KD's reputation, especially if the Warriors won the championship, because people will say he can only win a title with the Golden State Warriors, but Golden State has the most to offer. In my opinion, they got young pieces where you can get picks and guys who can step in and play right away.
1: We've talked about it for me to say, I would hate it. And then I didn't hate it the last time he went there, but I would hate it this time. I, I I won up you only with the Raptors. Because Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, Van Vliet, Gary Trent Jr., Ananobi, you know, Precious Achua, those are plenty of players that you build with and they've got picks. Like, to me, I would rather have that than wiggins or the young guys on the warriors but to your point you have to be willing if you're the raptors to give up scotty and and you know as we talked about before they've been a team that's willing to take on a mercenary like they did with Kawhi and win it all but they also might want to build and grow with their youth so um we the, the will... two
3: guys i'm not giving up on toronto i'm not giving up siakam or scotty barnes uh and We're i'm talking sorry, Durant Katie's here great. man
1: it's hard that's that's that you're looking at someone who can win Right now, you add them and you're automatically in the mix. And that's one of the few teams that can do that and still afford to give up a piece that the Nets would want. Uh, We'll keep talking about this. Also, I want to talk about the stalemate between the Nets and the Lakers when it comes to Kyrie. We'll get into that. We'll let you know your predictions for the Texans and Panthers. And remember, an acting legend. It's all coming up next.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
2: What did he say? What did he say? But
7: He
2: wants us to send Michael to hear the proposition.
1: Misery Chastain cannot be dead. Annie,
5: in 1871, women often died in childbirth. But a spirit is the important thing, and Misery spirit is still alive. Susan Wells. You said Susan Wells? Yes. Who
2: sent this Christmas gram? What's a Christmas gram? I want one. I think we
6: should call security.
2: Good idea to whisper too
1: oh uh, that last one from elf that one hurts of course james khan had a long career well before elf more recently uh he died yesterday at the age of 82 known for uh, uh, tremendously impactful roles and you heard a couple of them in there uh, Misery remains one of the most terrifying <laughs> movies of all time. Kathy Bates in that is a full-on nightmare. Uh, obviously, Sonny Corleone in The Godfather. He was in Bottle Rocket. He was in Brian's Song, for those who haven't seen that, the movie about Brian Piccolo and the Chicago Bears. He was in The Program. The Program. Highly, highly classic film, if you haven't seen I mean, how good was The Program? I still talk about Latimer to this day.
3: Man, yes. Listen, I mean, Mike Tomlin did a great job in that movie, too, by the way, <laughs> a.k.a. O- Omar Epps, uh That's beautiful right. Holly Berry right. in there. Um, and for those who haven't seen it, it's actually on Hulu for those who haven't seen it. Oh,
1: really? That's a great movie. I often reference Latimer and I often reference Omar Epps character having to carry the football around. Uh, yes. Whenever and someone's listen, got butterfingers. When, when,
3: when they were in the class and, he, and they knocked yep. it out and everybody fell to the ground trying to pick up the loose ball.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep. I reference that a lot when NFL players get butterfingers and have some uh, turnover struggles. I'm, I always suggest that they start carrying the ball around. Uh, RIP to James Caan, an incredible actor and some wild stories out, out of his life as well. He literally lived at the Playboy Mansion at one time. You know, he he has some all-time quotes. Uh, he was married four times uh, just he lived a life. It was an interesting life, and it was, uh, it was a, a talented, talented uh, string of, of great films that he was a part of. So RIP to James Caan. Um There's a couple old ones I need to check out. It, some of the early stuff that I've seen people bringing up clips from. Uh, we asked you guys early in the show, we're doing our two-a-days uh, as we continue to get ready for NFL camps. And we're starting from the bottom with the teams that struggled the most last year. We've made our way to the Panthers and Texans. And we've been asking you your expectations for teams moving forward. So, regular season wins for the Texans, 43.2% of you said 0-3. to 49.8% 4-6. to six five point five percent seven to nine and some looney tune one and a half percent said 10 plus wins you're clowning us for sure nobody believes Man, that
3: they, they must be a part of the organization who said that then
1: right somebody from the texans is listening to the show um i i you know i i don't know where to put them i do not have high expectations they won four last year somehow so i guess you could convince me that they will they will stay the same at least with another four but I would not be surprised if they take a step back, uh, Panthers, how many regular season wins for the Panthers? 8.3% said zero to three 53.7 said four to six, 34.9% said seven to nine and 3.1% said 10 plus wins for the Panthers. What do you think? Lots of, lots of Baker fans in there,
3: man, lots of Baker fans. Clearly they're homers. Um, I mean, again, I just the same way I put you on the spot, saying name a Colts wide receiver, not name Michael Pittman Jr. I right. can't. I'm not sure I can name an offensive player, not name Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, or uh, Christian uh, McCaffrey on a, on that offensive side of the ball for the Panthers.
1: Well, and it's you know there are some question marks. What do the Falcons look like? What do the Saints look like? But they're still going up against the Bucks in that division, and Tom Brady and. A lot of question marks for health on that team. Baker and McCaffrey, the top of the the list there. Uh, We also asked you about Lovey Smith. How many seasons will he last as head coach of the Texans? 25.6% said will not finish the 2022-23 season. That is a high number for not making it through a year. Uh, 68.1% said he'll make it through the end of 23-24, so two seasons as head coach. And 6.6% said he'll be the coach for five-plus years. i got to be honest. I don't see anyone lasting under Jack Easterby for five-plus years unless it's his best friend. That feels like a completely chokehold uh, on that on that team from Easterby from what I've heard. So uh, we will find out if you guys were right when the season starts. In the meantime, we've got a lot of NBA questions to continue talking about. We were just talking Kyrie and Lakers in a standoff, and I just wanted to get your opinion on that. We've heard – uh, that the Lakers are really the only person in the Kyrie sweepstakes. So, do they wait it out and and believe that the Nets are gonna say this is too awkward? We've got to get rid of him. Or do the Nets say, Hey, you're, Lakers, you're the only ones that are really looking for this guy. We will wait until you give us an offer that we like.
3: I, I think I think the I think the Nets are gonna cave with Kyrie. I think they take take Russell Westbrook back. Kyrie and uh, LeBron James are going to be back together, and they're gonna be singing reunited, and it feels so good. <laughs> I think that's going to be the end game with that one um, because the reality is nobody's knocking on the door saying give us Ky- give us Kyrie because as good as he is, he's such a headache peeing in the rear end off the basketball court and teams are tired of that.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a situation where whether or not Kyrie is willing to accept his own role in his value plummeting, uh, that's the reality. And you look around, a guy as talented as he is and – it looks like the only completely strange, dysfunctional, desperate place that would benefit from him and could succeed with him is the Lakers. A lot of other teams saying, yeah, we're not in on that. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit progressive.com. Can't let you off the hook without telling me whether you thought the Nets were a good plan when they had that big three. Did you think they were going to succeed?
3: I did. I, I, listen, wow. In the words of Axel Foley from Beverly honesty. Hills Cop, I fell for the banana and the tailpipe. You Sarah, did. Sarah, and I, thought, <laughs> I thought they were going to be rolling with that big three and compete and take care of things in the East. So I feel like a dummy on that one.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of people were with you. Uh, I want to give a big shout-out to Mina Kimes for hopping dramatically onto that bandwagon and then declaring how much of a big fan she was. That really didn't work out for her. Uh, and I relish that because uh, that team made me happy when it failed. Uh, Speaking of, all big three are going to be on Freddie and Fitzsimmons next.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN radio and on the ESPN app.